will be. But I do want to thank uh, Sarah for coming this morning and sharing about the Pregnancy Help Center. That is such an important cause, an important ministry here in our community because as our sign says, every right has a right to life. Every life has a right to life. God is the one who gives life, who sustains life and takes life. It's not up to us to decide that. And so I want to encourage you to be in prayer for the Pregnancy Help Center and their ministries and other ones uh, like it. And I just read an article yesterday that New Jersey just passed a law that allows women to have an abortion up until the time of birth. So that's the direction that some of these states are going. So be in prayer uh, for people in all these arenas who are fighting for the right to life. If you have your Bible, you can in turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 16 this morning. And uh, last week, I appreciate Ian Carrico filling in for me, and, and I did watch it online. I just wasn't sleeping. I did watch the service and the message, and uh, his message was very timely, talking about the unbroken chain of advancing the gospel and how we are such a significant and important part of that piece. Because if the gospel is going to be advanced, we are the ones who have to do the advancing. And uh, two weeks ago, I started a series called Refocused. RHBC, And I told you that my word for our church this year is for us to refocus. And my desire is for us as a church to refocus on our vision statement. And last time we looked at what it means to exalt Christ, which is the first part of our vision statement. And we talked about how we can exalt Christ with our worship and our words and our works and our wisdom and even our worries. And this morning, I want to look at the second part of our vision statement, which says, not only are we to exalt Christ, but we are to equip believers. The meaning of equip is this, to supply with necessary items for a particular purpose, to prepare someone mentally for a particular situation or task. Now, even though I grew up in Alabama, I am not a fan of Alabama football. I heard amens. I agree with you. I grew up an Alabama fan until 1979. I have a picture of me as I was going through my mom's pictures, found a picture of me with actually an Alabama Crimson Tide shirt on at Christmas one year. I had a moment of weakness and lack of understanding, I think. But in 1980, I became an Auburn fan, and for one reason and one reason only, by an athlete by the name of Bo Jackson. Those of you probably have heard or know of Bo Jackson. Probably he has been called the greatest athlete who has ever lived. And when Bo Jackson came on the scene and turned around Auburn football, that's why I became an Auburn football fan. Now, I must give Alabama their dues. And let me say this. You can't be an Alabama and an Auburn fan. That doesn't fly in the state of Alabama. You're one or the other. You can't straddle the fence. You have to be on one side or the other. But... It hurts me with great pain to say this, but Nick Saban is probably the greatest football coach who has ever lived and probably one of the greatest coaches of all time in any sport. Since 2009, he has won six national championships at Alabama. He was on the verge of the seventh this past week, but thank God the Bulldogs pulled it out. But he was on the verge of a seventh. But what makes him so great? What makes him so successful? I'll tell you what makes him great and successful. He is passionate about winning. He is driven. 
And because he is passionate about winning, his team is always prepared. His team is always well equipped to face the opponent each week. He gives his team what is needed. And he mentally prepares them to be successful. And his team is dedicated to the cause. They buy into what they've been taught. They buy into the game plan. Rarely is Nick Saban outcoached, and rarely is his team ever outplayed, and rarely is his team ever out of a game. And just like it is necessary for coaches to equip their teams to be successful and accomplish the mission of winning games, it is necessary for the church to equip believers if the church wants to be successful in accomplishing its mission of exalting Christ and extending the kingdom. And just like a successful team is a two-way relationship between coaches and players, equipping believers requires a two-way relationship as well because it is the job of the church to equip its members to live the Christian life and to give them the resources they need to fulfill the task God has called them to. But it's also up to the believers to realize that they have a responsibility to be equipped. And from this passage we're going to look at this morning, I want to share with you three reasons that equipping is necessary. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. Paul writes, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But when, what, what does he ascend to mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He personally gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is equipping is necessary because we have diverse gifts. We have diverse gifts. The moment you gave your life to Christ is the moment you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the very moment that the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gifts. In verse 7, Paul said this, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. This is not talking about saving grace. This is talking about ministry grace, meaning that every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. And through God's grace, He has given us what we need to serve Him and to fulfill the purpose in the body of Christ. Now, different people are going to have different gifts. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, look at what Paul wrote. He said, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, that the Holy Spirit has given us different gifts. Now, the context in which Paul is writing is interesting because in verse 8, verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 4 is a summary of Psalm 68. I don't have time to go back and read Psalm 68, but Psalm 68 is a victory psalm in which the Israelites are celebrating a significant military victory. So the context in which Paul is writing us to tell us that we're one body with one faith, with one Lord, with one baptism, and that, but we have different gifts, is the fact that God is able to give us these gifts because Jesus, the Messiah, triumphed over death, hell, sin, and the grave. You see, because of what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, by rising from the grave, and by ascending into heaven victoriously, and by being given off authority on heaven and earth, Jesus earned the right to give us these gifts through the generosity of the giving of himself and of the authority given to him by the Father. And because Jesus gave himself to us, we are to give ourselves to him including using the gifts he has given us to serve him. You see, just as Jesus was generous in giving his life for us, we should be generous in using our gifts to serve him so we can extend the ministry of the gospel. The reason God gave us gifts of grace is so we can show his grace to others. And you may be sitting here this morning or people may say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Every believer should know what their spiritual gifts are. How can you serve and be effective in the body of Christ if you don't know what your gifts are and what role God has given you in the body? The best way I have discovered to find out your spiritual gifts is by taking a spiritual gifts inventory. That is a great indicator that shows you how God has gifted you. If you go to Google Lifeway and Google Spiritual Gifts, Lifeway has a spiritual gifts inventory that you can download. It'll probably take 20 or 30 minutes to go through it. And it's an assessment of how God has gifted you. And it's a great tool, a great starting point to find out what your spiritual gifts are. So if you have not taken a spiritual gifts inventory, or if you're sitting here or watching online and you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I would encourage to find out what they are so you can be used effectively for the body of Christ. Because once you know your gifts, you are to use them in the church in which God has placed you. And now the church also has the responsibility to help you use your gifts through encouraging, through mentoring, through discipleship. And I've taken several spiritual gifts inventory, and and these are my gifts, teaching, administration, faith, and leadership. And I'll give you one guess at what my lowest spiritual gift is. It's called mercy. It's called mercy. I'm sure that's a shock to many of you who know it very well. Mercy is not my strong point. If a youth came to me and said, well, my girlfriend broke up me, I'd say, get over it. It's not the end of the world. That's how I deal with situations. Like It doesn't mean I don't have mercy. There are certain situations I just don't have mercy for. God didn't gift me with the gift of mercy. But in my areas of ministry, the, 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 the gifts that God has given me have been very beneficial in helping me serve Him 
and serve the church. So I want to challenge you, don't be guilty of not using the gifts God has given you. Instead, be found faithful in using what God has given you. And don't be jealous of someone else's gift. Instead, be thankful of the gift that God has given you. And be thankful that God has a specific plan and a specific purpose for you within the body of Christ. So equipping is necessary because we have diverse gifts. Equipping is also necessary because we have different responsibilities or diverse responsibilities. God has given us different gifts to use, which means we have different responsibilities. In the passage I read, Paul refers to two different groups within this passage. He refers to leaders and he refers to members. And even though leaders and members have different roles, leaders and members are of equal value to God. Be careful of a church leader who puts himself or herself on a pedestal and think that he or she is more important or more significant than a church member. Church leaders and church members are of equal value and equal importance in the eyes of God. And think about this, if they're on a football team. The quarterback is usually the one that gets all the hype and all the accolades, but what if the offensive line didn't try? What if the offensive line didn't try to block the guys in front of them? It'd be a disaster. The quarterback wouldn't last long. You see, the quarterback is dependent upon the offensive line doing, his job, doing their job. And the offensive line is dependent on the quarterback doing his job because there's no way an offensive line can withstand holding blocks for, for, second, for minutes. It's seconds. So the quarterback and the offensive line are dependent upon each other. They have a specific role of the team, and they cannot be jealous of the other's position. They have to understand how they God built them and how God gifted them, and it's the same in the body of Christ. What if the quarterback wanted to play offensive lineman? Can you imagine Tom Brady going to his offensive lineman this afternoon and say, hey, guys, I want to play center today. And center, you need to play quarterback. I wouldn't mind that. I don't like the Buccaneers. That'd be okay with me. But that's not going to happen. These guys are gifted differently, and it's the same in the church. Not everyone can play the same position in the church. And regardless of the position we play, we each need to fulfill our God-given role if we're going to be united and effective as a church and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church needs believers who've been blessed with different gifts. And every member Every believer in a church needs to understand what their gifts are and understand that their gifts are just as important as anybody else's gift. Can you imagine if a church was full of people who all had the same gift? What a disaster that would be. Can you imagine if a church was full of people who would have had mercy? We'd give the church away. Can you imagine if the church consisted of people who all had the gift of shepherding? There'd be no sheep. You see, every gift is needed. Every gift is important. We need people with the gift of mercy. We need, especially in this church, we need people with the gift of hospitality. We need people with the gift of evangelism, with the gift of encouragement, with the gift of giving, with the gift of faith and discernment and wisdom and knowledge. We need people with different gifts. Let me say this, not having a certain diff, gift doesn't excuse you from not doing it. 
Just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you are off the hook for evangelizing. There are some people I know, they could win a brick wall to Christ if they talk to it long enough. They've never met a stranger in their life, and they can win anybody to Christ given the opportunity. For some people, it's not as easy. But just because it's not as easy doesn't mean it's not a requirement. It just means you have to work harder at it. And those people who have the gift of evangelism are, are encouraged to teach and mentor and encourage those who don't. We all should be in the business of winning people to the gospel and sharing the gospel. Just because you don't have the gift of faith doesn't mean you shouldn't have faith. The gift of faith is described as someone who is able to help others see that God is good even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But you see, just because you don't have the gift of faith doesn't mean you shouldn't have faith in difficult times. It just means you may need to work a little harder at having that faith. And you need people to help you in those difficult times. Just because you don't have the gift of giving doesn't mean you shouldn't give. Just because you have the gift of giving doesn't mean you shouldn't give. We're all required to give. Some people are just gifted uniquely in certain areas and it's easier for them to do. So who equips the saints? Who equips the believers? Well, Paul makes it very clear. He gives five areas of leadership. He says the apostles. First, he says the apostles are the ones who equip. Apostle means sent one. And technically, in this context, he's probably referring to the 12 apostles of Jesus and also the apostle Paul. Because the, apostle, the requirement to be apostle was two things. One, you had to ha have physically seen Jesus and been with Jesus. You say, well, how did Paul become an apostle? Remember the road to Damascus? Jesus shone as a bright light to Paul and, and turned Paul's life around. Paul had a physical encounter with Jesus. The other requirement for to be an apostle is that you have been called by God specifically to extend his kingdom. Who did the church start with? The 12 apostles and the apostle Paul? But what about today? Some people think the, God, the gift of apostleship is no longer needed. I'm not sure that's the case because in today's context, an apostle is seen one as who is a missionary or a church planner or one who motivates the, the church members to get outside the walls of the church to carry out the Great Commission. The church is also equipped by prophets. This is not fortune-telling. This is foretelling. Prophets are those who boldly proclaim the Word of God and lead people to conviction of their sin. Then there's the evangelist. They lead others to Christ enthusiastically and effectively. They have a knack for talking to people and sharing the gospel with others. And they have a desire to teach others how to evangelize. There's teachers, he mentions, who instruct members in the truth and doctrine of God's word for the purpose of building up and unifying and encouraging the body of Christ. And he also mentions pastor. The word for pastor is the same word in Scripture used for elder or overseer or shepherd. It means one who oversees the body of Christ. And it means that a pastor is one who teaches and nurtures and protects and defends and knows and sacrifices. You see, God has placed leaders in his church and he's called them and he's gifted them to proclaim his truth. And the leaders of a church should strengthen and grow and equip believers to accomplish the ministry of the church. And this is exactly what Paul said in verse 12 of Ephesians 4. He said this, 
He said, we have all these positions for what reason? For the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Paul makes it very clear that it's just not the leaders of the church who do the work of the church. Let me say that again. It's just not the leaders of the church who do the work of the church. But this responsibility falls on every church member as well. That's why God gave you the gifts that he did. To serve him, to serve the church, to serve others. And every member of the church is to be involved in the ministry of the church. Because every believer, every member has spiritual gifts that God wants them to use. The leader's responsibility is to prepare the people, to train the people, to equip the people, and model for the people. What does it mean to prepare? It means to put people in the right place based on their spiritual giftedness. It's helping them be successful. Churches need to place people on ministry teams that match their giftedness. Someone who is an introvert probably shouldn't be asked to be a church greeter. Someone who can't manage money probably shouldn't be asked to be on the stewardship team. Someone who doesn't like kids or not very fond of kids shouldn't be asked to work in children's ministry or youth ministry. But I would say this is where a lot of churches miss the mark. They fill holes for the sake of filling holes. Can you imagine if a coach did that on his team, filled holes for the sake of filling holes? What a disaster that would be. You see, in a lot of churches, we have the issue of filling the holes with a warm body just because there's a need. Churches, churches need to be specific in how they fill roles within the church, and that's why it's so important for, for you to know your spiritual giftness and for church leaders to know your spiritual giftness so we can utilize you and equip you to do the ministry that God has wired you to do. We shouldn't be filling holes for the sake of filling holes. We need to put people in a position to be successful. We also need to train people. We need to teach people how best to use their spiritual gifts. We might do that through teacher. That one example is some of the teacher trainings we've had and hopefully we will have. There's been training for security People. There's been training for greeters. These trainings are important. And this is not only on the church, but it's also on the members. If the, if the church offers a training to help you be successful in the area of your giftedness, you need to make it a priority to be a part of it. Let me ask you this. What would happen if you missed your trainings at work? At the very least, you would be reprimanded and and not be very effective in your area of work and probably bring the rest of your team down. At the very worst, you'd probably lose your job. Shouldn't desiring to be equipped to serve God be just as, if not more important, than your work? Shouldn't desiring to be equipped to serve God be just as, if not more important than your work. The next thing we're called to do, we're called to equip. We're to equip those we, we prepare and train for ministry, meaning we are to give them the resources they need to do the ministry within reason and within budget. For example, we can't expect someone to be a successful teacher if we do not give them the resources to be a successful teacher. And the attitude of every member of a church 
should be this, that every member is a minister. The attitude of every member of the church should be every member is a minister. God worked. God still works. And we need to imitate God by working. And this goes for church leaders, and this goes for the members and believers within the church. And pastors and staff should model what's called servant leadership. And this is the crux of servant leadership. Never ask the people to do something that they're not willing to do. Church leadership should never ask the members to do something they're not willing to do. If we ask you to do upward devotions, we should be willing to do upward devotions. If we ask you to give, we should be willing to give. If we ask you to go visiting, we should go visiting. And we have a great opportunity with Upward, probably one of the greatest opportunities we had in years. We have 180 players who have no church affiliation. 180 out of about 350. Over half of the kids who are coming to our church for Upward have no church home. What an opportunity we have to at least communicate these families and, and talk to these families about our church. And as Ian said last week, they're here in our building. They're here. We don't have to go anywhere. But we're going to have to have everybody on board if we're going to, to reach out to these families. We need the children's Sunday school teachers on board. We need the deacons on board. We need the church staff on board. We need you on board if we're going to make a difference with the gospel and the lives of these kids who are here for upward basketball. The neat thing about upward basketball is they don't realize they're not here for basketball. They're here for the gospel. Basketball is just a sideshow for the real purpose, which is the gospel. And what an opportunity we have we say we want to grow our church. We say we want to reach people. Look at all the people we're going to have coming through our doors starting Wednesday night and next weekend who have no church affiliation. What if you just gave up maybe an hour on Wednesday nights and came in here and talked to the two or 300 people that are going to be in here for kindergarten basketball? The odds of you talking to somebody that don't have a church home are pretty good. What if you came up here on a Saturday for just an hour to have a conversation? Just popped in and had a conversation with someone about our church. We cannot let this opportunity slip through our hands. We have the people coming here, and what a great opportunity to be able to impact them with the gospel. But, if we're, but we as leaders have to be willing to model that. And if we ask you to do it, we need to be up here doing it as well. You see, the ministry of the church is a team effort. And every member should be willing and eager to serve. Paul Tripp, who is a pastor, author, and a conference speaker, he wrote a book called Instruments. And this is what he said in his book. He said, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, 
and progressively changing them into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. What he's saying, he's saying there's nothing bigger in life than using your gifts for the kingdom of God and rescuing people from darkness and bringing them into the light. There's nothing greater to do with your life than to spend it exalting God by serving him and advancing his kingdom. And when members give, when members work, when members minister to those in need and visit, the church is built up and the church is blessed. Last thing I want to share is equipping is necessary because we need to develop spiritually. Look at verses 13 through 16. He says, We're to do the work of the ministry built of the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with stature, measured by Christ's fullness. Equipping believers allows them to mature spiritually. Paul wants believers, he wants followers of Jesus to grow up, to mature in their faith. And notice the connection between verse 12 where he says working and verse 13 where he says maturing. And he says we are to work and, and, and mature until we reach the unity in the faith. What is the point where we reach the unity in the faith? It's the moment that Jesus returns. We don't fully mature in our faith and we don't stop working in our faith until Jesus returns. That's what he's talking about. There's no retiring from the work of the kingdom of God. There's no retiring from the work of the kingdom of God. No matter your age, there's always work to be done. And when we do the work of the ministry, we mature. We grow in our faith. We grow in holiness. And we push back the darkness. And the more we serve Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And willing to be equipped for God shows that you love God and shows that you think that his death was worth it. You see, we have to be equipped to live our lives the way God intends and to overcome an enemy who would love nothing more than to destroy us. We have to be passionate about and dedicated to our cause, the gospel. We have to buy into the game plan, the word of God, which we've been taught. We have to be driven and oftentimes we think that someone has to be spiritually mature to serve in the church. And, and yes, we must be careful about not appointing leaders too quickly and asking people to serve too quickly. But we do need to recognize that if someone is eager to serve in an area in which they are gifted, we need to come alongside them and help them and teach them and train them and equip them. And Paul gave the ultimate picture of maturity. Of maturity. In verse 13, he said, in verse 13, until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. See, you're not to compare yourself. Please don't compare yourself to me. You're not to compare yourself to anyone else. The only person you are to compare your spiritual maturity to is that of Jesus Christ. He is our standard, and as followers of Christ, we are to become like Christ. He is the one who we should desire to become. In Romans uh, 8.29, Paul wrote this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul's basically saying the reason that God saved us 
for the purpose of becoming conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 48, Be therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not talking about uh, becoming just like Christ here in this life. He's saying that we need to strive. That word become perfect means to strive like Christ. We need to strive in our faith. We need to desire to become like Jesus. You see, the next thing is equipping believers is teaching them doctrinally. Teaching them doctrinally. Children must be taught as they grow and so should believers. The moment we receive Christ, we must grow in our knowledge of the word of God and the truth of God so we can teach others. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul wrote, All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we first become a believer, we are spiritual babies. We have to grow up. How do we grow up? Just like a baby, we are to go grow through the word of the Lord and we are to grow in the Lord. I don't have time to read, but 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, and Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 talk about the, the maturity process of a believer, how we start out on milk, but then we need to grow into the meat of the words. If a baby just drinks milk all the time and never matures to, to real food, they'll always be considered a baby and a child. We, need, we can't stay where we are from the moment we receive Christ. We need to grow spiritually. We need to mature in our faith. We need to become like Jesus. That's why Bible study is important. That's why Sunday school is important. That's why worship is important. That's why retreats are important. That's why mission trips are important. And things like Bible drill are so important. Because these are some of the tools that churches should use to teach sound doctrine, to train in righteousness, and to equip for every good work Christians who are not taught doctrinally can't grow in their faith they can't be trained in righteousness and they can't be equipped for every good work I'm thankful for the churches I've been a part of all my life I'm thankful for each one I've been in because they taught and continue to teach sound doctrine and it helped mold me and shape me into the person I am today. It helped me mature in our faith because they didn't teach the Bible through the eyes of the world, but they taught the Bible through the eyes of God and didn't apologize for it. They didn't conform to culture, they conformed to Christ. And we as a church, we need to make sure that we are teaching sound doctrine so that we can equip believers and train people up in righteousness. And equipping is just not teaching the truth, though. Equipping is also showing others how to live the truth. It's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to, to live it. And as believers, we should be able to, Paul, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul said this. He said, imitate me. He said, follow me. Why did Paul say imitate me or follow me? Was he arrogant? No, he wasn't arrogant. You know what the rest of that scripture says? Paul said, imitate me because I am imitating Christ. He said, follow me because I am following the example of Jesus. There is no better way to equip others than to teach the truth and live out the truth. 
Equipping a believer also teaches them to, to correct lovingly. In verse 15, he says, Speak the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. As believers, we need to learn how to speak the truth in love. We need to learn how to tell the truth, how to maintain the truth, how to love with the truth. It can be very uncomfortable at times to speak the truth in love, but it is a critical point of our spiritual growth. You see, when a believer needs to be addressed because they're doing harm to their testimony, they're doing harm to the gospel, they're doing harm to the church, there's a right way and a wrong way to approach it. The wrong way is unloving and unforgiving and abrasive, but the right way is loving and forgiving and firm. And it means caring for the person being corrected more than reveling in the act of correction. It means caring more for the person being corrected than reveling in the act of correction. You see, it's not about correcting others because it makes you feel better about yourself. It's not about being judgmental. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 7 said, Don't judge lest you be judged. He said, take care of your own business and get your own life right because you, before you tell someone else how to take care of their business and get their lives right. See, it's about seasoning truth with grace and love. It's showing grace and mercy to each other. It's understanding that people aren't perfect and they're going to make mistakes and we need to come alongside of them and help them in their mistakes and show them what they did wrong, show them what to do right so they can grow in their faith. But here's the other part of that process. We need to be willing to be spoken to in love too. We need to be willing for people to approach us and correct us in our spiritual walk so we can get back on the right track as well. It's just not about us correcting others. We need to be willing to be corrected ourselves. And then finally, we need to equip, equipping believers allows them to serve actively. Verse 16. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Paul likes body metaphors. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and read 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how the body of Christ is like a physical body, a body made up of different functions, different organs, different parts, different pieces. And he says that, how, that is how the body of Christ is. And here he talks about another part of the body. He talks about the ligaments. He said, we are knit together by every supporting ligaments. Who's the ligaments? It's the believers. It's the members of the church. It's the body of Christ. And he says, all the ligaments come together to form the whole body. You know what ligaments do? They connect bone to bone and give your joints support. And they limit their movement. You have ligaments around your knees and your ankles and your elbows and shoulders and other joints. And stretching them or tearing them can make your joints unstable. And I think of the song growing up, the skeleton dance song, about how it talked about the foot bone connected to the leg bone, the knee bone, etc., etc. And this is the picture that Paul is given here. And if one ligament fails, if one ligament is not working properly, the body will be hurting and not function properly and will be unstable. You know what Paul is emphasizing? That every member of the body of Christ, that every member of Red House Baptist Church is important. And it's no doubt that Christ is the head of the church. 
And we are dependent upon him. But we also need to realize that we are dependent upon each other. And we need each other if we're going to fulfill God's mission of extending the kingdom. Unfortunately, in many churches, the Pareto principle is true. What's the Pareto principle? It's the 80-20 principle. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 80% of the people do 20% of the work. Think about this. If 80% of your body could barely function, what would your body be like? You'd be on life support. You'd be called a vegetable. If 80% of your body was not working. So why are a lot of churches dying? Why are a lot of churches on life support? Because 80% of the body of Christ is not working. And 20% are trying to carry the load. You see, every member should desire to function and engage in what God is calling them to do and calling the church to do by using their gifts for Him and fulfilling the purpose that He has given and put upon their lives. No one was saved to sit, as you've heard before. Everyone who was saved is saved to serve. And serving is a means of spiritual growth. The more you serve, the more you grow. The more you grow, the more the church grows. And because we need each other, every member needs to serve and contribute. They need to serve and contribute their time, their gifts, their resources, and yes, even their finances. And as we grow in Christ, as we are equipped to use our gifts for Him, the church body becomes healthy. But if we're, and if we're concerned about the health of the body of Christ, you know what we'll do? We will desire to use our gifts for Him. Well, people say, well, I'm too busy to be involved in the church. We have time for what we have time for. We have time for what we have time for. And I love what, what Greg Goschel said. He's a pastor and author. He said this, The solution is not more time. The solution is what matters most. The solution is not more time. The solution is what matters most. And I pray what matters most in your life is to serve God with the gifts that He has given you. You see, to not use the gifts God has given you and to not be involved in the church is to disobey God's design for the church in your life and it demonstrates misplaced priorities. Tom Rainer, former president of Lifeway, did some research, and he asked hundreds of people who left the church and came back. He said, what brought you back to the church? Listen to this. They listed the following. Ministry involvement. Small groups, obedience, and fellowship. Notice what wasn't in there. Preaching and worship. What brought them back to the church? Ministry involvement, small groups, obedience, and fellowship. You see, to the key to the healthy church, the key to church growth is about the development and equipping of believers to do the ministry of the church. Why? Because the church is more than what happens here on Sunday mornings. The church is what happens out there the other 166 hours of the week. And it's our job as leaders of the church and it's your job as members of the church to be equipped to be the church just not here but to be the church out there. And that's when church growth takes place. So I ask you this morning, do you want to be an equipped church or an ill-equipped church? An equipped church is one that's healthy 
one that's growing because their members are involved and because their members desire to be trained and prepared. An ill-equipped church or unequipped church, that will become an ineffective and a dying church. If we want to be a church that exalts Christ and extends the kingdom, we have to be a church who desires to equip its members and whose members desire to be equipped. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. I don't assume anything in a church service. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Him. Maybe today is the day that God has placed on your heart your need to give your life to Him and to recognize Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Or maybe you're here this morning and God... You've given your life to Christ and God has spoken to you and, and, and asked you, are you using the gifts he's given you? Are you using the gifts God has given you? Are you fulfilling your role in the life of the church? Is there, is God, something that's calling you to do that you're ignoring or putting off? And I ask you this, do you even desire to be equipped to serve him? We're going to have a time of, in, of commitment, a, time of invitation and I just ask you to respond in obedience to God this morning and I want us as a church to understand the importance of equipping and the importance of you as members and believers of Red House Baptist Church to be equipped it takes both of us leaders and members to do the work of the church and to extend the kingdom and I pray that your desire would be to be equipped to use the gifts God has given you, remembering that every gift is important. Every gift is significant to the body of Christ. So think about where you are in this arena of equipping. Do you desire to be equipped? Do you desire to use your gifts for God? Do you desire to be plugged in to the church? If you're saved, I hope your answer is yes. If you're not saved, I pray today will be the moment of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and just thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. And Father, I just thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He gave all of himself to us so we could have life, could have forgiveness of sin, could have a relationship with you. But God, you didn't save us. You didn't call us out from darkness into the light, Father, just so we would do nothing for you. Father, you have called us to be trained, to be equipped, Father, so that we can lead others to you. And Father, I pray that everyone in this building would desire to be equipped to use their gifts in a way that brings glory and honor to you and grows the church and grows the body of Christ and reaches people with the gospel. Father, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, I pray, you know what, I came here today not knowing Jesus, and before I leave, I want to give my life to Christ. Father, may no one walk out of here without Jesus. God, I just pray during this time of commitment, God, we would just think of what you've done for us, and we would commit in our own lives to give everything we have to you, including using our gifts for you. We love you. We praise you. Be with us during this time in your name. Amen. If you have a decision to make or if you want to come to the altar and pray, I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe there's other decisions. Maybe you want to join Red House. Maybe God's calling you to be baptized. You've been saved but not baptized. Maybe there's other decisions God has laid on your heart that you want to make today. 
But let's stand as we sing, and I'll be available down front if you need me.